All right, y'all, welcome to the Mad Rhythms Podcast Network. This is the Either And Podcast, and I'm your host, Brill Barrett. When there's contention or controversy, most people believe the solution has to be either or. I believe the solution lies somewhere in either and. All right, y'all, this is the third episode of the Either And Podcast. First of all, let me, let me start off by saying happy Women's History Month. And I know we just had... Uh, International Women's Day. And so there's a lot of things that I want to get into to recognize the accomplishments of women throughout history, the U.S. and everywhere, anywhere. I want to get into a lot. Of course, dealing with tap dance, I start off there by talking about a lot of the women who paved the way in the tap dance world that nobody knows about. So think about this. If the reason you don't know a lot of the black men who are the pioneers of tap dance is because of racism, then you add sexism to that and you get the reason you don't know about a lot of the women who paved the way in tap dance. You know, and that just that bothers me. So, like, I feel like it's my responsibility as a man, knowing how it is that I need to do my part to make the change, make the history known. How about the Whitman sisters? First of all, I'm Chicago. They're from Chicago. But the Whitman sisters were a group of women who at the time were not only performers, but were producers. So let me say that again. At the time, were not only performers, but they were producers. So that's something that a lot of people don't think about is that these women were breaking all kind of boundaries and they were creating and producing the shows where the men who we now know, they hired them. So we wouldn't know about these men if it weren't for some of those strong women who made sure that the shows existed. And I'm talking about putting Bojangles on. I'm talking about putting Cooking Brown on. Like a lot of the vaudeville acts that we know in the tap world, they got put on by women who created a show uh, and produced a show and directed the shows and also performed in the shows. And so that's the Whitman sisters. Shout out to the Whitman sisters. Let's also talk about Dr. Jenny Lagon. Like a lot of people now are more familiar with her. But Dr. Jenny, Jenny Lagon was known as the chocolate princess of Hollywood. She was the first black woman to receive a major multi-picture deal contract. It was unheard of. And so she was in a lot of movies. She danced. I mentioned this in, in, in the previous podcast when I was talking about black history, but she wore pants. And at the time that was boundary breaking for a woman to be wearing pants when the men always said they should be, you know, men designed the looks for Hollywood. So women had to be look pretty. And they were more concerned about how women looked than how they sounded. Right. So then let's talk about Consuela Harris. Uh, how about Mabel Lee? I mean, I could go down the list. How about, uh, let's do quicksand. Harriet Brown, a woman who did the sand dance. The only people I had ever heard of when I did start hearing history about sand dance was Sandman. And later in life, I found out about Harriet Quicksand Brown. How about the Silver Bells? Started off as as um, chorus girls for the Apollo Theater. Unionized. We don't hear anything about that. 
And a lot of times, because they were the, the, the chorus girls, when they brought in the male headliners, they were expected to just back them up. But a lot of times, those chorus girls were better than the headliners that came in. But, you know, their job was to make the headliners look good. And so, I, and it's funny, I find that thought process to be extremely permeating throughout history. Women are supposed to be or exist in the way men see them being or existing. And I've always had a problem with that. Like, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Why can't we all exist the way we're supposed to? And why can't our perceptions of how we're supposed to exist be us? Like, as a man, I can see you as beautiful or see you as whatever I want to see you as. And as a woman, this this is the either and of it. You can see yourself and create yourself as to however you want to be seen and or created. And they should both be able to coexist. It shouldn't be my ideas how how create how you have to exist. So that's never been something that sat well with me. And of course, as I grow older and I experience life a little bit more and more, I'd like to say I get wiser. Older doesn't always mean wiser, but I just realize how bad women have had and continue to have it based on the perceptions of men, our ideas of what women should be and who they should be and how they should act in reference to us. It makes no sense. And I think it's something we've got to own up to, admit where we're wrong and how wrong we've been, and then work to be part of the solution. And that solution is, I think, first and foremost, educating ourselves and then educating other men around us, especially young boys. Like I know we teach a lot of times we teach boys to be strong. And if a boy shows emotion or cries or or any of those things, we call them soft or, you know, boys don't cry like all of this craziness. Human beings have emotions and human beings express emotions. And that shouldn't matter whether you're a boy or a girl. But I think it's time for us to start changing the way we teach boys so that they can become men who make better decisions. We always emphasize on, I remember I was doing a program uh, when I early on when I started doing some of my youth programs and I had a dance class on the west side uh, of Chicago. And out of 30 teens, and when I say teens, meaning 14 to 18 year olds, because that was the age range of the participants in the program. 28, maybe 27 to 28 of them were all young girls. Um, and there were other programs in the facility where a lot of the boys would be in those programs and be parts of those programs. And I just remember the boys would break their necks to try to see what was going on in the dance program, in the tap program, because that's where all the girls were. And, you know, the girls would be in there dancing. We're sweating. It's hot. We're learning how to tap. It's active. And just like in most instances, they would have on uh, tank tops, leggings, you know, shorts, pajama pants, whatever, comfortable clothing. And I remember at one point, the higher ups at that facility came to me and said, hey, we need to institute a dress code. And the dress code is for the girls in this dance program. Or they said participants, but again, more than 80% girls. And that dress code was, 
they can't show their stomachs and they can't have clothes that fit a certain way and they can't have. And I was like, wait a minute, what is what is this about? This is a dance program. Why do we have a dress code for a dance program? If you go anywhere, I mean, in the in the ballet world, leotards and tights is the norm. Everything is form fitting, shape fitting. So why is why why is this different? And I was told it's because the boys can't control themselves. And I said to them at that point in that moment, then why don't we teach the boys how to have better self-control? Because I couldn't understand why we were making the girls conform to whatever the boys needed them to be to exercise control. That didn't make sense to me. And so I've looked at that and examined that kind of thing my whole life. Like, again, that didn't make sense Uh, for a long time. Uh, when I was going through my uh, my spiritual search, I remember at one point I was uh, I had become Muslim. And I was studying Islam. I was making Salat five times a day like I was doing the whole nine. But one of the things that never sat with me was within the religion, how women had to walk behind the man or how women had to be covered up from head to toe and all of these different things. But there was no example of how the men had to dress or how the men, you know, other than that they walked in front of the women or, and that was pretty much it. And I thought that's crazy to me. So while I enjoyed certain aspects of the religion, there were still certain things that never sat right with me. And then I looked at, you know, even when you're dealing with Christianity and the whole, uh, the, the woman came from the man and the ribs. And, I, you know, I, those are all great stories. Uh, even in wedding vows, the woman love, honor, and obey. That's usually the woman's vows and not the man's vows. And I'm like, we got a lot of work to do in our society for us to change the understanding that men have of women. How men need to look at women as human beings, first and foremost. But having the right, like we don't have the right. And I don't know why we think we do. So on this Women's History Month podcast, I'd really like to pledge to be a better man. And I think a lot of men can try that for starters. We got to be better in how we relate to, how we connect with. We have to listen and we have to understand, or I should say, overstand that we don't have the right. We do not. We think we do. And we shouldn't want to. Like, why do you want it? Well, never mind. That's <laughs> that's another podcast for another day. And we could talk about maybe some of these, the, the men out here with their podcasts and the things they say in reference to women and their perceptions of those women. We'll get into that on, on another podcast. But I will say that we have to just really figure out if we say we love and respect women, then how do you show that love and that respect? And I think, you know, the golden rule of treating people how you want to be treated, like that should be number one. You want to control things that happen to your body. You want to control things that you can do and partake in or partake of as a man. So why wouldn't a woman? And why do we feel that we have the right to change any of that? Yeah. I know lately there's been a lot of talk in the news, especially with, uh, I think, the laws being changed in in Texas and Florida. I know there's the abortion laws, um, and that's the craziest thing to me is that they're changing abortion laws by making it 
So it's not federally illegal. So it doesn't necessarily go against Roe versus Wade, but they empower everyday citizens <laughs> to basically be able to call in and say, well, this woman is going to get an abortion. Like that's the crazy, like you telling on women for doing what women should have the right to do because it's their bodies. And you don't even have to live in, like how crazy is the law when you don't even have to live in the state? You can just hear about, you could be on the phone with somebody and they say they know a woman's going to get an abortion. You can be in another state and call in. Like that's, that's some of the craziest stuff I've ever heard. And in this day and time, I don't understand why when we should be moving forward, we seem to be moving back. And I really don't understand why we're in such a hurry to move backwards. Evolution is literally moving forward. Everything that happened in the past should inform us of how we need to move towards the future. And I'm just in kind of awe of the things that I'm seeing. Like I never thought I would see the thing like my mom was a black panther and she'll tell you still is you know my mom was around in the civil rights movement my mom was like historically i've grown up with a lot of things and hearing about and knowing about and i know that we still have to fight but why are we having the same fights the same fights for women's rights for equality the same fights we're still having and i don't understand how they're even acceptable to anybody at this point. If you know something is racist, why does it get, why does it still exist? Why is it allowed to still exist? If you know something is sexist, why is it still allowed to exist? I mean, the heartbeat act in Texas, once you can establish a heartbeat, then abortion is off the table. And I know uh, with that abortion law that I spoke on earlier, I know one of the things in that law is the um, six weeks. And you know, men came up with that men who don't know anything about women's bodies, because even men who might be doctors or ob can tell you that six weeks, most women don't even know they're pregnant in six weeks. So you've made a law that says after six weeks, the abortion is legal because that's the, I don't know, the scapegoating way to say, I just want to make it illegal, but since I can't go against Roe v. Wade, then we'll do the heartbeat act, which is in addition to, and I just think it's all crazy. Why men want to continue to control women's bodies. I'll never understand. Roe versus Wade should have put an end to all of this stuff. And for a long time, it did like that decision by the Supreme court was all we needed to finally shut people up about what women could do or not do with their bodies in terms of an abortion or how they handled their pregnancy. But to see parts of it being the workarounds, <laughs> circumnavigating the law and putting these acts into place. is just crazy to me, and it's crazy to me that it's allowed. So I think that we can really work towards changing laws and instituting laws and acts that protect people. And I'm all with trying to protect children. I work with youth for a living. So I understand that aspect of it. But the and is we can also not try to control women's bodies and what should happen to women's bodies. Women should be able to decide that. And at the least, the women who are lawmakers should be involved in the conversations, if not leading the conversations, as to what laws we can put into place. 
and how those laws affect. And so I just think it's, you know, that's that's my take on 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 a lot of this. And I think the the reeducation is where we start. Stop teaching our young boys, you know, the, the saying boys will be boys. I don't like that saying. Because you never hear the exact opposite being girls will be girls. So it's like young boys behavior is acceptable. And when it's not acceptable, it is justified by saying boys will be boys. But on the same scale, when a girl doesn't act the way they think girls should act, her behavior is not justified. It's, you know, she needs to be disciplined. She needs this. She needs, like there is no girls will be girls. So I, I, I agree with the fact that children should be children. And we understand that they're learning in every experience they have is a learning process, but it should be equal across the board. Um, I, I was talking, we were talking last week during the other podcast. And one of the things we talked about in between the, the off, you know, behind the scenes was the fact that when a, a young girl acts like a boy or does things considered boyish or masculine, we say they're tomboys, right? But when a boy does things that are considered feminine, we don't have a word that means the same exact as tomboy. You hear the term soft or sissy, or I won't even say anything past that because it's all derogatory and I don't want to do that. But all the terms that we describe any boy who exhibits what we deem as female qualities are all negative terminology. And you have to ask yourself, why is that man up? That's what young boys are taught before they're anywhere near men. We tell young boys, man up, stop crying. Boys don't cry. Men don't cry. And that's simply not true. Number one, but number two, what are we te- we're teaching boys to bottle their emotions? And anybody who knows anybody who's ever exploded because they could no longer hold it inside, we know that that's not good. That's not safe. That's not good. So you have to have ways to let your emotions out, whether it be crying, whether it be screaming, <laughs> whether it be getting on the wood and tap dancing the way I do. But there has to be some method of release, some mode of release for the things that build up inside you or you're damaging yourself. And so we literally complain about a lot of men or young boys or young men not expressing emotion or not doing these things. And I think a lot of times we don't realize we've taught them, we've trained them to not do these things, to not show emotion. And that's, that's another thing we got to change. So that's just my two cents. I'm not an expert. I'm just a human being living on this planet, trying to make the most of it. And I know that we can't continue to hold other people down. We can't continue to suppress other people and how they need and what they need to grow. I have no problem calling anyone what they prefer to be called. So people that are on the pronoun war kick, that, that I don't understand it. Use your energy somewhere else. Because you also don't understand what any of these people could be going through. 
might be going through, are probably going through. You have no, we have no connection, but what we do have is empathy. And I feel like if you're anybody who has ever had a time when no one listened to you or a time when nobody counted you in or counted you as important, you know what that feels like. And so you don't have to know my exact story or you don't know how to know someone else's exact story to be able to empathize with the fact that they just want to be respected and counted as whole. Women just want to be seen as, to my knowledge, and again, I don't want to sound like another man on the mic trying to be an expert in women, but I think from what I hear, because I try to listen, is that women just want to be seen as human beings, as individuals. And that means just like everybody else, we all experience emotions. So the the stereotypical angry black woman, yeah, sometimes women get angry and sometimes, especially black women in this country, really get angry. But how is that a thing? How is that a type? That's a human emotion. And if you live in a place that's already, you're getting a double dose of the racism on top of the sexism. And we're not going to even add in homophobia or transphobia or religious, any of that. We're not going to add any of that in. But people are going through it. And people are going through it because people are tired of fighting everything. You know, there's natural things in life we have to fight. We have to fight for the success that we want to have. But that's compounded and made difficult when you're fighting for existence. You're fighting to be seen. You're fighting to be acknowledged. And then on top of that, you got to add all these other fights. So I just think we as a society, we got to change. We got to change our tune. Um, and we got to change how we look at things. And again, that's why I'm, I'm really stuck on the either and aspect of it all, because I think it's, it's not either, or it's definitely either. And in this situation, but we got to change the men and we, as men have to then support the women, our women. I hear Queens, the terminology, our Queens, but do we really treat our women as our queens? Do we really? So those are just some of the questions. Um, And there's a lot going on. Like there's so much going on in the world that we could all be expanding and expounding our energies on. And I feel like we're just not getting together to fight those issues because we're too busy fighting issues that we shouldn't have to still be fighting. Like right now there's a war going on, right? Russia versus the Ukraine. Or I should, yeah, I should say Ukraine. Everybody's calling it the Ukraine. Russia versus Ukraine. There's a whole lot going on there. And we're still worried about controlling what a woman does here. Parts of the reason that region of the world has the problems it has is because even there, women have less rights. So I look at the either end of that situation. What Russia did to Ukraine is downright wrong, period. We can discuss all kind of things surrounding whatever, but it's wrong. But at the same time, I'm also reading about and seeing the stories of African students being either just stopped, not allowed to board. You know, when people were fleeing and and going to Poland and they weren't letting the black students on the trains. And then at some point, I saw a couple of different interviews where a young black man was saying, They're telling me I got to fight. 
He said, I'm trying to leave because this is not my home. And they're telling me I got to fight for Ukraine. So that's crazy on so many different levels. So while Ukraine as a country is fighting Russia, the main thing they're fighting is that suppression. They don't want to be oppressed. They don't want their rights suppressed. But then they're in the context of that fighting doing the same thing to people of color in their country. That is mind blowing to me. Like that literally, I don't understand that the concept doesn't even make sense. Cause how are you about freedom and fighting for your freedom and fighting to maintain your independence? And then you're oppressing people in your country because of the color of their skin. And so I think both of those thoughts live very high in my subconscious in terms of, Yes, what Russia's doing to Ukraine is absolutely wrong, and I'm glad the world is coming together in sanctions and doing doing whatever it takes to try to get Russia to stop. But also say the end of it is Ukraine needs to stop as well in terms of how it's treating black people and the students of that country who are just trying to get to freedom like every, everybody else is allowed to get on trains and get to freedom. But you're going to literally stop the black people students who are just trying to get to their homes like all the other people and it's only because you literally can see their difference like there's no way you can explain to me or explain away the fact that some people like to say you know try to explain things as not being racist or not what it seems the only way you can stop those students before they get on those trains and know who to stop because you haven't heard anybody else talk you've heard people talk about how the trains are crowded. Yeah. Thousands of people a day showing up to catch these trains out of Ukraine. But the only people you hear about saying they wouldn't let us get on are black people. And that's a problem and that's wrong. And we need to figure out how to stop that as well. So after we're done helping Ukraine by, by sanctioning the, the, the bejesus out of Russia, we need to then turn our focus and say, all right, now let's talk about how you treated these people or rather yet. Let's let's talk about it now. Let's talk about you going on TV to ask for help and forgiveness and think of us as you, the rest of the world. But then you're doing this to the people in your own country who don't look like typical Ukrainians. And I just think both of those thoughts can occupy a space at one time. I don't have to be all about Russia or all about Ukraine. I can be all about Ukraine and then all about what's not good, what's not going well in Ukraine in terms of this conflict. And I think that's a lot of, you know, I know I got off the the Women's History Month aspect of it, but I'll never get off the either end aspect of it because those are the things, that's the way my mind works. Like how do we solve these issues? How do we solve these problems? And a lot of times that that solution literally lies in between in the middle of the different situations. So I bounced around a little bit. I wanted to talk about some things, but I really want to talk about I want to get back to tap because y'all know that's my first love. That's my foremost that probably occupies my thoughts most of the time. But I, I always think back to there was a time when when women in tap were just supposed to look good, not sound good. Then there was a generation of women who said, nah, 
we want to sound good. And they ditched the high heels. So, so women, early tap dancers, like in the, the vaudeville and the chorus lines, were all supposed to wear heels and nothing else. Then there was a generation of women in tap who all wore flats, and that was their way of fighting against having to be told what shoes to wear. And then there came a generation, and that's the generation that I had the pleasure of being part of the training of. Um, some of my peers and then some of those that, that have come under me, that generation, they said we wear what we want to wear. Sometimes it's flats, sometimes it's heels. But it's up to us and the image we want to portray and what we want to say on this specific day. And I think that's one of the most visual examples of the solution that I've seen in a long time where it started out with men telling the women what they were supposed to look and sound like. And then the women fighting by doing the opposite so that the next generation of women could fight by making a choice. And I think we could follow that trajectory in a lot of different areas and start coming up with solutions to the problems. And so I give shout outs and kudos to those women who continue to fight because again, they shouldn't have to fight just because they're women. Their fights should all be, their fights should all be about whatever the, 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 the task is. You're fighting the task or for the task. You're fighting for this change or that change. And I would love for us to get to the point where we, and that's we as black people, women as women, black women as black women, like those aren't the net. Like I want to get to the point where there's no more first. I can't wait right now. We're still like, uh, I know um, the president is in the news and that was news for a minute for saying he was going to nominate the first uh, African-American woman to the Supreme court. And this day and age, we still have not had, and that's sad to me. So I love the fact that it's going to happen. I hope to God that it does happen. And for all those people who are finding ways to now talk about reverse racism and reverse sexism, just stop. <laughs> just stop. Things need to change and they need to be forced. Everything that we have, I think, as black people in this country and everything that women have in this country, especially black women in this country has always been fought for. There has always had to be a fight. So would I love us to get to the point where there is no more fight? Yes. But do I understand that that fight has to keep going until things change drastically overall? Then yeah, those fights are still going to have to happen. And so as we move forward in whatever times we're in right now, as we move forward across continents as we move forward in industries i'll be glad when we get to the point where there are no more firsts that'll mean we've had a black everything that'll mean we've had a woman everything and that will be a time when i think we're better and we're better for it we have to rely on the opinions and the thoughts of more than just old white men to create the kind of society that services everyone. And so I look forward to it. 
I look forward to it. I look forward to it a lot. Um, some of my heroes or sheroes in the tap dance world, I would first and foremost give props to Diane Walker. She is a woman who encompasses everything that I talk about in this podcast in reference to when I was a young tap dancer getting into the scene. She, when other people would talk stuff about, you know, the, the ignorant things that I probably did, I won't even say probably, let's be honest, the ignorant things I did. Like I remember I thought once I got on stage, the stage belonged to me. It was my stage. And people talk stuff about how long that me and our original group at that time were on stage. We, they, they take too long. They always on stage, but nobody ever told us. It was Diane Walker who told me and Trey Dumas and, and, and my cousin at the time, the three of us, we had a group called Stepping Out. She was the one who told us, y'all on stage too long, get off. And I always appreciated that. And so she used to call us her boys. And people referred, you know, and even when they talk stuff about us, they'd say, Diane, your boys is acting up again. Your boys is doing this. Your boys are doing that. And she would basically, you know, in a very mother-like fashion, a matriarchal way, get on our cases. And that was so needed, even though then at the time, I had no idea what that connection and what that advice from her meant and what that mentoring from her meant to my career as a tap dancer and also my career as a mentor. But I just know that she was important to that, that mission. And she still is to this day. Everybody calls her aunt Diane. And sometimes I call her aunt Diane. Sometimes I call her mama, mama, Diane. People refer to her as lady die because she's become like the mother of the tap dance world. So I just want to give a big shout out and props to Aunt Diane, Diane Walker. Um, I look at the fact that the reason I tap dance today is because my grandmother, Albertine Barrett, wanted to be an entertainer. And when her life didn't allow it, she tried to let her kids get her kids involved in entertainment, put them in dance classes, all kind of classes. And none of them chose it as a career. And so she worked on her grandkids and she made sure that we were in acting classes, singing classes, the the whole nine. So it's because of that strong black woman with those ideas that I'm even in entertainment today. And then of course my mother who risked it all, who did it all to make sure I could do this. I think sometimes we forget to just acknowledge I remember when I was going to BBF as a kid and the teacher I had there, his name was Carlton Smith. And I loved his style. The first song we ever learned was to, uh, was, was a Stevie Wonder song, Sir Duke. But I remember at one point he, I I didn't know, you know, his tenure at BBF as a tap teacher, but whenever his tenure was up, he left and he started teaching up North uh, at a place called the whole house, uptown whole house. And I told my mom, I want to keep taking classes from him. I want to keep taking classes from him. And so she found out the difference was at the community center, it was free because the community center paid him. And then we as residents of the community got to take all the classes for free. But when he went up there, 
he was, I think that was his normal teaching gig and he was charging. It was a tuition aspect. And I don't know what it really cost, but I know that he only charged us $5 a week for class. Most of you all might hear that number and think, oh, this is amazing. Like, five, I wish I could take tap classes. for. Five. I think drop-ins in most studios start at like 15 bucks nowadays. So $5 was not a lot, but we didn't have it. We were barely scraping, barely getting by financially. And I remember my mom counting out pennies. Like she literally would come with a bag of pennies, $5 worth of change to pay for my classes when it got that bad. So I understand that's a sacrifice that nobody could you. Most of us are embarrassed. We don't want to pay $2 worth of quarters, but $5 and pennies and change. But she did what she had to do to make sure that I could follow my dreams and my love of tap. And so I'm always, always eternally grateful for Audrey Barrett, my mother, for making sure that I am who I am now. And she has shaped the way I am now. Uh, when you talk about the history of Mad Rhythms, I didn't know exactly what I wanted Mad Rhythms to be. But there was a woman named Ife McWhorter who worked for the Park District. And she hired me as a dance teacher for a program many, many years ago called Dancing in the Parks. And then she got promoted and she became the director of the South Shore Culture Center. When she got promoted, she wanted to build arts programming in the South Shore neighborhood. And this is where Mad Rhythm started. But I remember the conversations with her were always, and this is what I mean by the support. Because I think when we empower women, we empower all of us. We empower our culture as a whole. Once she got the power, she asked me, what do you want to do? And I didn't even know what I wanted to do, but she kind of forced me into that thought process, into that thought pattern. She said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I've been thinking about starting a company. I've been working with some young folks doing a volunteer thing and I want to start a company. And she said, well, then here's the space. And she said, and what you can do is you can have the rehearsal space to start with your company, but you have to teach classes in exchange. You have to barter in exchange for the community. And I thought that was a win-win. So that's how my rhythms even started because a strong black woman said, Hey, I have this power and now I want to share it with you. I want to spread it to you. And I remember after my rhythms got going, we put on, she, she said, you know, what you going to do? I said, well, we want to put on a show. And we put on our first show. Then we put on our second show. And there's a story behind that. The second show was September 11th. 2001 you remember what happened then 9-11 so that's a whole nother story and a whole nother podcast but I remember after that we would kind of we I was defeated because obviously that show wasn't well attended the world was kind of in shock but I also remember she said okay you did your show you got your classes so what you want to do and I said well no I take that back she said people are coming to the shows and now they want to know how they can study with you so what you want to do? She was so leading and I didn't understand the beauty of that until now. I said, well, I want to start teaching. I want to do classes. And that's where the Mad Rhythms Tap Academy was born. And we started doing classes and we started getting students and people started coming to classes. And then as the mentor she was, she said, 
Okay. You did your show. You're doing your classes. I think people want to study with you from outside of Chicago. So what do you want to do? I said, well, I've been thinking about starting a festival, a festival of my own, where we could give people an opportunity to study right here on the south side of Chicago. And that's where the Chicago Tap Summit was born. So I say all that to say that if it wasn't for her and many other hers in my life, strong women, strong black women who made sure to keep me on the path, to keep me on task, encourage me and nudge me along. I would not be here today. I would not have this podcast. I wouldn't be a tap dancer. There would be no mad rhythms. And I don't know what my life's purpose would be. Because all I know is that I love and live for tap dance. But I also love my community. I love being a change agent in my community. I love using the art form that I love to make change in my community. And that if it wasn't for women in my life, and even historically speaking, all of those who set the examples, who fought the fights, I would not be who I am, where I am, what I am, doing what I do. And last but not least, I want to talk about Mad Rhythms. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. And we spent the first 10 years at the South Shore Culture Center where Ife McWhorter, who I just talked about, made it happen for us. In our last 10 years, we've been at the Harold Washington Cultural Center in Bronzeville where another strong black woman, Jimalita Tillman, made it all possible. If it wasn't for her, there would be no Mad Rhythms now. Because after we left the South Shore Cultural Center, and that even is another podcast for another day, we were, uh, I, I, like, I said homeless at one point, and I think my sister Star said, no, we were like uh, gypsies. We were bouncing around from place to place. So in that regard, Mad Rhythms did not have a steady home, a solid home, until... Jimalita Tillman made the Harold Washington Cultural Center being our home, us being an arts partner, part of the arts village here, a possibility and a reality. And that's why we've been in Bronzeville ever since. And we will continue to be in Bronzeville, building up the community, making a difference until forever, until whenever, however it happens. Um, so, again, I give big shouts out and props to all those women who personally connected to me and made my journey possible. And who historically made my journey possible. Because of what they did, what they endured, what they fought for and how they fought. And that's the way I'd like to celebrate and hopefully maybe you will, too. Women's History Month. All right. So with that being said, I like to close out like I always do. When I'm in class, I have everybody put their hands in. We form a circle. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, we all actually touched hands. We don't do that anymore. I call it the socially responsible circle. But we put our hands in toward the center to generate that circle energy, that cipher, that positive flow. And we say respect the dance. And that's also how we thank all those that came before us, all those that made it possible. And so today we're going to do Respect the Dance in honor of the women of TAP, 
the women of our lives, the women of the world who make it possible. You ready? On the count of three, respect the dance. One, two, three. Respect the dance. Thank you all for tuning in to the Either And Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Brill Barrett, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace.